Good morning. If you would please turn to the book of 2 John. 2 John. As you can imagine, in my household, one of the regular epic struggles occurs around the 9 p.m. hour. Okay, this is when uh, we embark upon the great undertaking of putting our two terrorists to bed. Any other, other parents ever struggle with that, or is it just us? Okay, just us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Some of you being honest and some of you trying to be funny. That's great. All right, and I'm not necessarily proud of it. Uh, there may be a better way to do it, but I have resorted, especially with my oldest, to threatening him in order to keep him in bed. Okay, after his trip to the potty, his story, his prayers, his drink of water, his tucking in, whatever other delaying tactics he can think of, after all of that is through, I ask him, I say, Luke, what happens if you get out of your bed? Luke, what happens if you get out of your bed? That's right, okay? (laughs) You get a swat, okay? And so I ask him, I say, what are you going to do? And he says, I'm going to stay in my bed, okay? So, Rachel and I go downstairs. This happened um, a couple days ago. We go downstairs about 15 minutes later. What do I hear but the exuberance of an eight-year-old reading with great animation and gusto? He's saying, chicka, chicka, boom, boom, okay? He hasn't quite figured out yet. If he would just read quietly to himself, he could get away with it for a long time, right? But he won't do that. Okay, instead he has to act it out. He has to to read it with all of the animation that he can possibly muster. Okay, so I go into his room and I ask him, I said, okay, Luke, what did I say? What happens if you get out of your bed? And he says to me, he says, but dad, I didn't get out of my bed. I say, okay, who turned on your light? Who got the book down from the shelf for you and took it back to your bed? And the little weasel looks at me, and for about 30 seconds, he thinks about this. And finally, he says, you did, Dad. (laughs) This is why I keep getting more and more gray hairs. It's these children that my wife brought home. (laughs) Now, (laughs) okay, as a dad, I think one of my main responsibilities is to teach my sons the truth. I want my sons to become men who tell the truth, who know what's true. I want them to be men who help others find the truth. I want them to base their lives on truth that matters. I think truth is vital. Uh, In spite of what the media will tell you or what politicians will tell you, I do believe in absolute truth, okay? There's no such thing as alternative facts, right? That doesn't make any sense, okay? There is essential truth truth, truths that we have to base our lives on. And if we're going to claim to be followers of Jesus, there are some truths that are not only foundational, but that we have to get right if we're ever going to be successful as followers in the kingdom of God. Okay, so what I want to do this morning is I'm going to read to you the second shortest book in the entire Bible. It's the book of 2 John. And I want you to notice in these couple of paragraphs just how many times John uses the word truth and how much importance he places on the concept of truth. Okay, verse 1, it says, The elder, to the lady chosen by God and to her children whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth 
which lives in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in what? Truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as my Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one that we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister who is chosen by God send their greetings. All right, we don't know a whole lot about the background of this letter, but most scholars think Ephesus is probably the place to which John was writing. Okay, the oral tradition, the story that's grown up over the centuries, is that after the death of Jesus, okay, and you remember the scene on the cross where Jesus looks down and he sees John the Apostle and Mary sitting at the foot of the cross, and he says to them, he says, John, you are going to take care of my mother. Mother, this is your son. Okay, even in his last moments on earth, Jesus is taking care of his family. Okay, the tradition is that after the death of Jesus, when the persecution started and the Christians had to scatter from around Jerusalem, it says that John took Mary and they moved to Ephesus. Okay, in fact, if you go over to Turkey today, you can go to the ancient site of Ephesus and you can see where everyone has believed for centuries and centuries, this is where Mary's house was. Okay, and there's foundations there that date back to the first century, so maybe it is, I don't know. And the tradition is that John continued to work with all the churches around Ephesus for the rest of his life until he was exiled to Patmos and then came back and finally died in Ephesus. Okay, so the lady that this letter is addressed to is possibly the church in Ephesus. Okay, whatever it is, the lady is a metaphor for a church. And so the children then are members of that church. Okay, and what I think is most important about this is that John writes to the church because of Gnosticism. Okay? The heresy of Gnosticism, or some early version of this, they didn't actually use that word until later on in history, but some early teaching of what would become known as full-blown Gnosticism. Okay, and there's variations on this. Uh, we're not entirely sure what all the Gnostics taught. Okay, and there were different strands of Gnosticism. Okay, but the big problem that all the Gnostics agreed on is that matter is evil. Okay, the, the physical stuff around us is inherently corrupt, and what is pure and good is what is spiritual. Okay, they, they get a lot of this from Platonism, right? Where physical stuff is bad, spiritual stuff is good. Now, this is a problem when it comes into the church, because then they say, well, if physical stuff is bad, then God could not have come down in the flesh and walked amongst us. Okay, he wouldn't tarnish himself like that. 
Okay, so maybe the scriptures teach that, but that's probably a metaphor. Okay, and what God really did was he just came down in a spiritual form, and it might have looked like he was really here with us, but Jesus wasn't really a man. Okay, and the death of Jesus didn't really happen like the Gospels teach. That's some kind of a metaphor, right? According to the Gnostics, God wouldn't get his hands dirty. Now, obviously John the Apostle has problems with that teaching. All right, here's a, a sub-point this morning. Um, but in this text, it talks about the Antichrist. Okay, and a lot of people, when they read 2 John, they get really excited about, oh, here's we information about the Antichrist, and we want to know who is this Antichrist. And we go over to Revelation, we try to take some verses from there and put it with this and figure out all the stuff. Okay, in fact, uh, I think I've told you this before, but I had a manager at Office Depot when I was working there in Abilene um, who had all the charts laid out in his basement with the strings attached to it, and he had been watching all the news and reading all the books, and he figured out who the Antichrist is. Okay, do you want to know? Okay, um, it's Prince Philip of England, okay? He had it all figured out. Um, I don't know where he got there, but he thought it was important that I knew that, okay? So now you know, right? All right, that is not at all what John is talking about, okay? In fact, you notice in this text, it's in the plural, Okay? Anybody who denies the truth of Jesus is anti-Christ. Okay? That's all that word means. Anybody who's denying Jesus is an antichrist. You're against Christ. There's not some historic figure that this is talking about as a specific person. John is saying all of these Gnostic teachers, all of these people who are denying the truth of Jesus, are against Jesus. So don't be like that. All right, so John, in this very short little letter, is he's, he's combating this heresy, and he's encouraging the church by reminding them, by reminding all of us, that the essence of the gospel, you want to get the gospel right, there's two pillars you have to build on. Okay, and he repeats this in all of his writings. Okay, he says the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ is truth and love. Truth being there are certain things that God has done that are just absolute truths. There are certain foundational truths of God Almighty that you have to build on. And you have to have love. Okay, the other letters of John say this. You read the Gospel of John. Notice how many times he talks about truth and love. Go read the book of Revelation. You get it there too, right? Everything in the Gospel is about truth and and love. It is not overstating it at all to say Christianity is all about ultimate truth and ultimate love. Okay? And the message of John is you cannot pick one. You got to have both. Okay? Truth without love leads to what? Legalism. Okay? Love without truth leads to some sappy emotionalism that has absolutely no power. Okay, have you known churches or people before that have picked one over the other? <sighs> I love you, son. I really do. All right, so we could easily uh, do a whole series on both of these points. Okay, but for the rest of our time this morning, I want us just to focus on the truth side of this because I think John says some very interesting things in this very short letter, just about what it means to be a people devoted for, to the truth. 
All right, so here's number one. If you're taking notes, write this down. That is that John teaches us that we as Christians must fight for the truth that matters. Okay, fight for truth that matters. Uh, recently, my old car died, um, and so it was a great excuse to go out and go car shopping. Okay? And so I got to go and learn all about the different kinds of cars and figure out what I wanted. And as I was going to different dealerships and places looking at various cars, I got into this vehicle and the, the dealer was telling me all about the features of this car. And did you know, okay, because I was going from a car that you rolled up the windows, okay, and you unlocked and locked doors, right? So I'm, I'm kind of behind the times on the technology that's in cars these days. Okay, so he's explaining to me that the, the rearview mirror in this car has auto dimming. Y'all know what that is? Y'all are more advanced than I am, see? Okay, what that is, is when the lights behind you are really bright, the rear view mirror automatically dims so that it doesn't blind you with the headlights from the car behind you. All right, six months ago, I didn't know that was a thing. Now, I have to have that, right? I can't be happy and complete in life if I don't have an auto dimming rear view mirror. Okay, I think back to when I was in high school, and I went on a mission trip with my youth group, and my youth group went down to Mexico. Okay, and in Mexico, we drove by a section of town that had row upon row upon row of cardboard houses. Talking cardboard about the size of a refrigerator, and there's people sleeping and living and eating in these cardboard boxes. All right, you ever seen that kind of poverty? Okay. Can you imagine me trying to explain to someone living in a cardboard box that I have to have the certain kind of technology in my rearview mirror in my car? All right, notice again verse 7. He says, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge that Jesus Christ as among as coming in the flesh, have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and an antichrist. Okay, let me ask you, as followers of Jesus Christ, are we worried about, fighting about, spending our time and emotional energy on things that matter? Okay, or are we worrying about things like rearview mirror technology? Because the church that received Second John, um, they're not fighting over worship styles They're not getting into arguments with each other over politics. They're not talking about who gets to do what and ministry assignments. The fight that they are fighting is over the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that when we are fighting for that truth, when our focus is really on the gospel, then it's really hard to care about what's on TV tonight. It's really hard to care about who said what to whom. It's really hard to care about who won that football game. Okay, and I don't know about you, but I want to spend my life fighting for something that matters. Okay? I don't want to spend my life focusing on rearview mirror technology when there's more important things going on in the world. Are we taking the gospel seriously enough to fight for what matters? Now, something that's happened recently in American Christianity um, is that for the most part, the majority of our churches are shrinking okay, in the United States right now. And what used to be the case back several decades ago is we could afford to fight about a lot of things that didn't really matter. 
um, because you could just go to another church or people could get mad over here and then they could go to church and everyone was pretty much going to church that was going to be going to church. And so you could afford to have some petty fights and it didn't really destroy stuff. Okay, but as Christianity is shrinking and has it become something that we can't just take for granted anymore, it becomes more imperative than ever that if we're going to fight, we better be fighting about stuff that matters. What's worth fighting about? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? Do we care about the things that God cares about? Do we get upset about the things that God gets upset about? Okay, a good test on this is ask yourself as you go throughout this week, what is it that gets you upset? Okay? And if the stuff that you're getting upset about is not the kind of stuff you read in Scripture that God's getting upset about, then our priorities are out of whack. Does that make sense? Fight for the truth that matters. All right, here's number two. The truth of Jesus is all or nothing. Okay? The truth of Jesus is all or nothing. Either you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ or you are going to be anti-Christ and there is no middle ground. All right, when I proposed to Rachel um, many years ago, uh, I did it on the spot where we had our first kiss on the campus of Oklahoma Christian. It's very romantic, I know. I did it on our two-year dating anniversary. Okay, we went out and I took her to a nice dinner. Okay, much nicer than our normal just trip to Chili's, which is our normal big date. Okay, I took her to a nice place. Um, proposed to her. I had gone earlier uh, that month to visit her parents in Albuquerque, New Mexico to ask for her hand in marriage. They said, well, we can't stop her, I guess. She's an adult, okay? (laughs) True story, okay? That is truth. Um, Came back. I proposed to her, um, and she agreed to marry me. Okay, now, if when I got down on one knee and handed her that ring, imagine if I had said, Rachel, I would love to be your husband six days a week, okay? For six days a week, I'm going to be completely devoted to you. Um, I will be completely transparent to you. Anything that I can do for you, I will do. I will put you first six days a week. The only caveat is one day a week, I'm going to be single, okay? One day a week, I'm going to do what I want to do. But don't worry about it because come midnight, I'm going to be right back by your side and I'm going to belong to you fully. I will be fully committed to you Six days a week. Okay. What would you have said if I had done that? Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, that would not have gone over well. Why? Okay. Because either you're married or you're not. Right? Okay. There's no halfway about this. All right. The problem with the Gnostics in John chapter, or Second John is they really wanted to believe in Jesus. Okay. They saw a whole lot of good in Jesus. They liked his teaching. They liked the way that he lived his life. They liked a lot of the things about Jesus, and they really liked him. They also liked the idea of church. They thought it was a great countercultural community. They thought it offered a lot for people who didn't want to live like pagans. They really liked, and they liked to follow most of what Jesus was all about. Okay? But there were some things that they just weren't going to do. And John says about them, he says, if you follow most of Jesus but aren't interested in following all of Jesus, there's a word for that. It's called antichrist, and you don't want to be that. You, know, you may have heard the term buffet Christians before. You ever heard that term? 
Okay? A buffet Christian is someone who goes to, to the Christian tradition and says, I like this, and I like this, and I like this, but I don't really like this, and I don't like this, I don't like this. So I'm going to take what I like, discard what I don't. And it's like when you go to a buffet, you don't eat everything. At least most of us don't eat everything, right? You just take the things you like and leave the things you don't. And so I can approach Christianity that way and get some really good tailor-made religion that fits me. Okay? Problem is, following Jesus is all or nothing. There is truth about Jesus that we have to get right if we are going to be followers of Jesus Christ. Okay, notice what he says in verse 8 about this. He says, Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. All right now, here's the thing. I'm not saying that you and I have to agree on everything. Right? Obviously, there's going to be some stuff about Christianity that you and I are going to disagree on. Okay, that's normal and that's healthy. We are different people. There's going to be some things that we just do not agree on. Okay, I can still call you brother and sister in Jesus Christ, even if you're not right about everything like I am, right? But there are some things that we have to get right. There are some foundational truths about Jesus that are true whether or not I believe them or not. Okay, there's truth that we have to get right. Jesus came in the flesh. He was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. He died for our sins. There was a literal resurrection from the dead on the third day. Okay? There's room for us to disagree in Christianity, but you cannot call yourself a follower of Jesus if we don't agree on Jesus. Fair enough? All right, number three. Don't run so far ahead that you leave the truth behind you. Okay, don't run so far ahead, you leave the truth behind you. Here's what I mean by this. Notice what he says in the next verse, verse 9. He says, anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. All right, uh, about a week or two weeks ago, I got a very important document in the mail Okay, I needed this document. It was extremely important. Okay, and so there's only one of two places that I would have possibly put this document. So whenever I needed it, I desperately needed it, and I needed it that day, I go to the first place, it's not there. I go to the second place, it's not there. Okay, if I only could have put it in one of two places, and it's not in either one of those places, what is the only logical conclusion for what could have happened to that document? My wife moved it. Absolutely. So I call my wife, and I say, wife, you moved my document. And can you believe she pretended to ignorance and innocence? Okay, she said, I did not move that document. I never saw that document. I have no idea what you're talking about. You must have put it somewhere. And I said, honey, there's only two places I would have put it. It's not in either one of those places. So think real hard. Where did you put it? Okay. We went back and forth like that for a few minutes. Finally, I hung up the phone in frustration, continued to look for it. Eventually, I found it in my bag, which is not one of the two places I should have put it. Okay. So I found it where I put it in my bag. So I called my wife, and, and I told her, hey, good news, I found the document. And she asks me, where, it, where was it that you found it? And I said, how is that relevant at this point in the discussion? <laughs> it's 
probably good that I married a marriage counselor, right? I mean, there's a theme to my life. All right, have you ever been completely sure of something before and then just been dead wrong? You ever been just absolutely 100% sure you knew it had to be this way and then you were wrong and you had to eat your words? Okay. You know, all of the really smart people just a few months ago knew that Hillary Clinton was going to be our next president. Okay? I was convinced. I knew she was going to win. I was wrong. Okay? All of the really smart people um, knew that the Gospel of John, okay, for decades, all of the scholars agreed, the Gospel of John is the last Gospel written, and it was written sometime in the second century. Okay? After the Apostle John died, apparently his followers combined all the stories he told and wrote this document. The language sounds second century. All of the stuff it's dealing with are second century. It is a second century document. For decades, everybody knew that until we dug up a copy of John from the first century. Okay. Now everyone knows, nope, it's a first century document. Okay, all of the really smart people uh, knew that we were on the brink of the next ice age and that by the year 2000, New York was going to be in perpetual winter. Okay? Everybody knew that. All the smart people knew that. All right, in John's day, all of the really smart people knew that matter was corrupt and evil. So therefore, Jesus couldn't have come in the flesh. All of the really smart people knew that those parts of the gospel that described the physicality of Jesus, that had to just be a metaphor. John's point in 2 John is that some basic truth is foundational, and that when we get that truth right, the rest of life falls into place. When he talks about running ahead in verse 9, that's not a good thing. He's saying what happens is sometimes we get too clever for our own good. We start making all these connections and putting all these points together that aren't real truth. And we lose sight of the foundational truths that God gave us. We need to be a people who are humble enough to recognize that there's a bunch of stuff we don't know. We need to be humble enough to start with the foundational truths that God gave us. And then we build the rest of our lives and the rest of truth on that. When we start thinking that we're so clever that we're going to outthink God and outthink the way that he laid all this out and start outthinking his view of the world and creation, then we leave truth far behind us. So don't run so far ahead that you leave the truth behind us. We are always looking for the next best thing, but we need to have a little humility and know what is foundational truth. Again, Our lives, if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, need to be built on two things. It has got to be truth, and it's got to be love. So as we continue on in our week, as we continue on in our walk with God, let's make sure that we're building on the right truth. Let's continue to make sure that we're loving each other. All right, at this time in our service, we're going to sing a few verses for an invitation song. During the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. And this is an opportunity for us as the church to be here for you. If you have a prayer request or a need, if you'd like to sit down and study with us more about God's word, about God's gospel, uh, we would love to do that with you. Um, And so please come as we sing this next song. And before we do that, though, I'd like to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Let's stand and sing.